Um, we're going to be continuing in our series in the Gospel of John. And last week, we, uh, we learned that food is important. Did we know that already, that food is important? We, we watched as Jesus fed the 5,000 this miraculous way, and we learned that what we eat matters. And I remember, I remember kind of the first time that I learned that food is important. And what we eat matters was when I was about 18 years old, I, and you guys, y'all have heard this before, I'm sure, but I, uh, after I graduated high school, moved to Belize for about a year. And I, you know, you do the whole thing where, you know, you say goodbye to family, you're, you're nervous, you're excited, you're, you're terrified, but you're really excited, you're really looking forward to it, right? It's crazy. You get on the plane, you say goodbye to the family. I, I have pictures of my mom and dad, like, well, my dad actually seemed kind of happy, like, kind of like... <laughs> All right, finally get him out of the house. My mom was sad. Um, but anyways, that's, that's some stuff I need to work out. But anyways, and so, you know, I remember going on the plane, being excited. I land in Belize. I meet up with Charlie Joe, CJ, the missionary that I was going to be living with for that year, who's going to kind of be doing the internship with me. And we get there, and he's like, all right, let's go grab some food. You guys might know where this is going. So he says, all right, let's, go, let's grab some food. So we, we get in the car. We're headed. He says, I'm going to take this place called Pops. And I'm like, Pops, that sounds fun. So we go to this place called Pops, and Pops is literally like this shack on the side of the road. Like, it was probably as deep as this platform here, like not very wide. And we come up to Pops, and I, he's, he's, there's like this little hole, and I can see in there, and there's just like pots and pans and stuff, but nowhere to cook the food. So, you know, there's no telling how long the food is sitting there. Pots and pans, I see flies flying around and stuff. I'm like, this is, this is going to be interesting. And so I get the food, we take it back, and Charlie Joe asked me, he says, what do you want, you want beef or like goat or something, I don't remember what it was. I chose the beef, and so I'm like, that sounds safe. So we got, got back, got rice and beans and, and the beef, and I remember getting to the house, this like picture is like clear as day. I remember opening up the container and looking at it, and what I saw was like rice and beans, thank the Lord, and then there was like this orange square with a bone sticking out of it. And I remember just being like, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, like, if you know me, um, you know that I am, can be kind of a picky eater. And so I remember sitting there thinking like, what we eat matters. <laughs> and this might not go well for me, right? Fortunately, actually, what's funny is I say that story, but Belizean food is like my favorite food in the world now. Like, I would choose that over anything. But I remember that just being like the first time in my life that I really thought about like, like really thought about food as like an important thing. You know what I mean? But it's true. Like what we, what we eat matters, what we put in our body matters. Like have y'all heard about the new Starbucks controversy? The unicorn. Yeah, there's a unicorn frappuccino. And it's, it's kind of amazing to me because I've seen people, they get it, they eat it, and then they're upset because they found out that it has like 3,000 calories in it or something. And I'm thinking like, it's called a unicorn frappuccino. What did you think was in it? Like, do you think it was like pixie dust or something? Like, what? Come on, man. It, anyways. But what we put in our bodies matters. It's important to us. Like, we have different diets. We got the paleo diet. We got the Atkins diet. We got the Whole30 diet. We have all different kinds of matters and or all different kinds of food. And why we have these different diets is because we realize what we put in our body matters. It affects us, right? Like, like. Food is the source of life. It affects all areas of, of our life. It affects the way, here's the number one, it affects the way, what, we look, 
That's kind of important one to us, right? We like that one. It affects the way we look. It affects the way we feel. It affects our health. Like if you go to the doctor and you have high blood pressure, you have something going on with you, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to say, let's look at your diet. What are you putting into your body, right? Food even, have you ever experienced this one? What you put in your body even affects your sleep. It even affects your dreams. Has anybody ever like eaten some crazy tacos and woken up like a middle night like, dude, I don't know what that was. <laughs> I don't know if that was like prophecy or like something was happening, man. It's not good, right? Um, what we put in our body matters. And so that's why we have this, this huge deal where last week we looked at as Jesus is feeding the 5,000 and understanding like what he did was a big deal. It mattered. Like what Jesus showed us in feeding the 5,000 last week was that he provides for our needs in miraculous ways. And it's really cool. So as the story kind of progressed, and we'll catch up to where we are today, but after Jesus feeds the 5,000, what we see is Jesus comes in and the people, the Jewish people that were there, decide they want to make him their king because he just, you know, did this incredible miracle of feeding 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread, which was pretty awesome, right? So he does that. They try to make him their king. He doesn't want to do that. That's not what he's here for, at least not yet. He kind of slips away, and then we see as Jesus goes and he slips away, the disciples are looking for him. They don't, they don't know where he is, so they just hop on the Sea of Galilee on their little boat, and they drive off, and then in the middle of the night, they see Jesus doing what? Walking on the water, catching up with them. So Jesus hops in the boat, goes across the sea. They show up, and there's people looking for Jesus because they don't know where he is because they never saw him get on the boat. They saw him slip away. They're wondering, where is he? And that's going to kind of where we're going to pick up today. We're going to pick up in John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. And we're going to catch up where the crowd's looking for Jesus. They're wanting to find him. They're wanting to get some more of this, this uh, miracle that he just did. So it says, The next day, the crowd that has stayed on the other side of the sea, excuse me, the next day, the crowd that has stayed on the other side of the sea knew that there had been only one boat. They also knew that Jesus had not boarded that boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone off alone. So they're wondering, Jesus, where are you, man? Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord gave thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Valid question. Jesus answered, I assure you, you are looking for me. This is interesting. Jesus is good at this, man. He just sees right to our heart, and it hurts sometimes. Sometimes it's really great. It's always great, but sometimes it hurts. Let me correct that. I assure you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for food that perishes, but for food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Verse 28, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe the one he has sent. What sign are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, just as is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So we pick up, the people are looking for Jesus. They're trying to find him, they find him, and then they have this conversation. I'm going to break down the conversation uh, in kind of my interpretation. They show up, 
hey man, how did you get here? Jesus' response, again, ignoring the question, you guys just want more food. But you're looking for the wrong kind of food. And he says, don't, work, don't look for the food that perishes, but food that will last for eternal life. Are we kinda, we're kind of having some moment of wealth flashbacks here, don't you think? Like, I have some food for you that's not, not food that's physical food, but some food that will never perish, some food that will give you eternal life. And the crowd, of course, asks, Jesus, how do we get that food? How do we get it? <laughs> and then Jesus responds, it's from God. And then the crowd, people are stupid, man. Like, if you just drive out on the highway, you know that, right? But the crowd goes, they go, their response is, Okay, so you got this food that's going to give eternal life. What miracle are you going to perform to prove it to us? What trick are you going to do to show us? Like, were they not there the day before? He just fed 5,000 people with two, two fish and five loaves of bread. Dance, monkey, dance. Come on, people. But I think this shows us, again, it kind of hurts me a little bit because I think it shows me myself a little bit like like so often God is working in our lives God is doing incredible things in our lives God is being so good to us and then the next day we forget it and we're like God I'm gonna need you to do a miracle for me again he's like Mike do you not remember yesterday do you not remember what I did for you yesterday <laughs> so they want they say Jesus prove it to us show us some miracle forgetting about the 5,000. And then you got to love these guys because they don't just ask him for a miracle. They give him some suggestions. You know, Moses, he, he uh, brought down some manna from heaven to feed the Israelites. Like, well, that's a pretty good, Jesus, huh? What do you think? You want to do that one? Huh? We'd like that one. What do you think? <laughs> they give him some suggestions. And this kind of has it's, it's not so off the wall because what just happened is when he fed the 5,000, it kind of was reminiscent of and reminded them of what happened in the Old Testament, which was when the Israelites were traveling around uh, after they got, had been set free from Egypt, they're in the desert. And what God does is this incredible miracle where he feeds them with manna from the sky. And so we don't really know what this manna is. We think it might be like a bread type substance. It's, it's from heaven. So we don't really know what exactly it is, but essentially what happens is every single day, the Israelite people would like get out of their tent. Like, I mean, how much would you love for this to be your reality? They open their door and there's like, oh, food, sweet, right? The Bible says they would just go around, collect it, ground it up and make food out of it. And so this, the story where when Jesus fed the 5,000, it reminded them of the miracle of the manna in the desert. And so there was not just that it reminded them of them, but there was a promise or there was a, a belief that one day God was going to send someone else, send someone new who was going to open up what they called the storehouses of heaven and rain down the manna once again from heaven. And so what they're doing, even though it seems like this crazy off-the-wall idea, what they're essentially saying is, hey, Jesus, we're looking for the one who's going to come and open up those storehouses again. You want to do that? Huh? What do you think? <laughs> And the, and the truth of it is, is that Jesus was that one. But he's not here to do it in a physical way. He's not here to bring physical food. He has this food that gives eternal life. And this is just, just kind of a side note about that story. I guess it, so after, they, after God is providing manna for them every single day, day after day after day after day, the Israelites eventually get tired of eating it. There's this miraculous food showing up every day, and they kind of get tired of eating it. And so they go to Moses, and the Bible says they're literally crying at their doors for meat. 
They're at, the, they're at the doors of their tent, and they're crying for God to provide meat for them. And as you can imagine, if you were you know, literally performing a miracle for someone every single day and they became ungrateful for it, that might perturb you a little bit, right? And so the Bible says, and you should check this out if you get, you get some time, read it. It's Exodus 11. Uh, he, they, God and Moses kind of get together, and Moses goes to God, and, he, and the Bible says that God was upset, Moses was upset, and what Moses said is, I kid you not. Moses says, God, I am so tired of putting up with these people. Like, did I give birth to them? Do I need to carry them around like babies at my breasts? That's what he says. And he, tell, he, says, he says, I'm tired of it. And he asks God, he says, God, if this is how it's going to be, kill me now. <laughs> like, if I'm going to have to put up with these fools, just, just do it. Like, end it right here. And so what God does is he doesn't kill Moses because he, he wants to use his life which is another lesson for us. But anyways, and so what he does is he uh, gives the Israelites so much uh, meat that they throw it up like it's too much meat. It makes them sick, and then he strikes them with a plague to remind them of how good he is. That is not the way I want God to remind me of his goodness. <laughs> like, right? Like, there's some ways, like, you know, blessings, like, oh, here's a million dollars, like, you know, things like that, not like plague. It's kind of like I was talking about somebody this morning. Like, you know how when you get sick and you're reminded of how beautiful it is to be healthy? Similar idea, right? The moral of the story is let's not be ungrateful for what God does for us. Um, let's, let's not, because what happens is if you become ungrateful for what he's doing in your life, you begin to seek other things to find that fulfillment and to give you what God was doing, and it never ends well. So anyway, so they asked Jesus to provide this man, and Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's good. The bread from God is the one who comes down and gives life to the world. And what do they say? Verse 34, then they said, sir, give us this bread. And then they exclaim it, exclamation point, always. Give us this bread, always. So Jesus kind of reminds them, and I love what he does here because he reminds them, hey, that bread wasn't from Moses, man. That manna wasn't from Moses. That manna was from God. Don't you forget it. Don't get it twisted. That was from God and, and God alone. And he says, but that bread is different from the bread that God's going to rain down now. The bread of God is different from manna. It's different from, than some physical bread. This bread that God is going to give to the world gives life to the world, gives healing to the world, gives hope to the world. This is the bread of life. Give us this bread, man. Give us this bread. Verse 35 this is the first of the I am statements in the book of John. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That's right. The bread of God isn't physical food. The bread of God is a person. The bread of God is God himself. Jesus is the bread of life, and he had come to earth to give us life. And so God had opened the storehouses. God is raining down that bread once again from heaven, the manna from heaven again, except it's not a physical food. It's in the, it's in the form of a healer. It's in the form of a savior. It's in the, the form of our God coming to earth. And so Jesus is going to go through verses 35 through 57, and he's going to talk about all these things that the bread of life has come to do for us. And I'm not going to read all those. I'm not going to run through all of that today, but there's a few of them that I want to just point out really briefly. And we're going to talk about some things that the bread of life does in our lives. The bread of life does 
for us. So the first thing that, it, that, that John says is, is that God draws us to the bread of life. And then once, once we meet Jesus, here's what he does. Verse 45 says, everyone who had listened and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. So if you're taking notes today, write this down. One of the first things or one of the things that the bread of life does for us, the bread of life reveals God to us. It says no one has seen God except him. How do we know what God thinks? How do we know what God says? How do we know God's opinions? How do we know who God is? Is through the person of Jesus. And so we have this incredible opportunity. You want to know what Jesus thinks? Read the Bible. Read, read the New Testament. Read his words, right? We have this incredible opportunity that we can see God, we can know God through the person of Jesus. The bread of life reveals God to us because he is God. Amen. The first thing the bread of life does for us is it reveals God to us. Second, verse 40. For this is the will of, my, will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one, but this one's a good one. The bread of life provides salvation. Man. Verse 47, I assure you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The third thing is the bread of life provides for us eternal life. The bread of life gives us life. And if you read through this, the people kind of get confused a little bit because he says, Jesus starts to say crazy things like, you need to eat my flesh and you drink blood. And they're like, what's going on here, right? He's not talking about physically eating his flesh. What he's talking about is his sacrifice on the cross for us. Because what he's about to do is he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die for our sins. His body is going to be broken. His blood is going to be spilled out for you. And when he says you need to eat of the flesh and you drink, what he's saying is you need to, we have to, to experience this life, we have to partake of that sacrifice. We have to partake of what he does on the cross for us so that we can have it so that we can have that life, so that we can know God. He can be revealed to us so that we can have salvation, so that we can have eternal life. We have to partake in his sacrifice. So what that means is that the bread of life is about to give his life so that you and I can have life. That's good, man. His sacrifice on the cross, the bread of life is trading his life to give us life. And so Jesus is dying on the cross to be the sacrifice for our sins so that we can have the relationship restored with Jesus. But if we don't partake of that sacrifice, we don't get it, right? So what that means, how do we do that? What that means is coming to Jesus, acknowledging that we're sinners, acknowledging that we need his uh, forgiveness, acknowledging that we need that sacrifice to cover our sins, 
asking God to forgive us of our sins, knowing that he'll be faithful to forgive us of our sins, accept Christ, accept the sacrifice, and then make him our king. Make him the Lord of your life. That's a kind of big one, man. The bread of life lets us know God. The bread of life gives us salvation. The bread of life gives us eternal life. All that and more. And there's one more that I want to talk about and I want to spend a little bit of time on. And this is the first thing that Jesus actually says about the bread of life. Verse 35. I'm going to go back a little bit. Jesus says, remember, they, they, what is this? Where do we get this bread? We want it, you know, all that. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life, Jesus told him. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. The bread of life, when we partake of the bread of life, we find satisfaction in the bread of life. Let me ask you the question. If we were to kick it back all the way to the beginning and we're talking about all that food, why do we have to eat every day? <laughs> why is it that we have to keep eating? Like, why can't I just go to McDonald's, get a Big Mac, get, you know, a Happy Meal, and, like, eat it and then never have to eat again? Some of you guys are like, that would be awesome. Some of you are like, no, that would be awful. I like food, right? That's me. I like to eat. But why is it that we, we continually get hungry and thirsty? Like, why can't we just have one meal and satisfy us? Because food and drink... Um, we need it for our, our bodies. We need caloric intake so that our body can function because they're essentially what they are. Which when we eat and we drink, those are temporary solutions to a lifetime problem. Does that make sense? You eat and you drink, and then as soon as your body uses up those calories, you need it again. For the rest of your life, until the day you die, you're going to need to eat and to drink. It's temporary solutions to a lifetime problem. We need it so our bodies can function. Food is a temporary solution, right? What Jesus is doing here is he's using the illustration of feeding the 5,000 as an example for something that he alone can do for our soul. What Jesus is saying is that the bread of life, although food satisfies temporarily, the bread of life satisfies forever. The bread of life satisfies forever. And the thing about that, man, we kind of talked about this, touched on this a little bit a couple weeks ago, but if you look at just the human condition, you can see that we're all searching for, seeking, looking for that satisfaction. There's some kind of satisfaction. There's something that people are looking for, longing for, and we try to fill it in all different kinds of ways. And, and as we get older, as we you know, grow up, it, it changes. Like when we're kids, we seek that satisfaction. Like, mom and dad, I need a bike, right? Give me that bike. When we get older, we try to fill that satisfaction with like, I need, a, I need a Porsche, <laughs> or I need a, like a lake house or something, right? That sounds good, right? We try to fill it in all different ways, and it looks differently. We even looked at Solomon a few weeks ago, where Solomon was trying to fill this satisfaction, trying to figure out what's the point of life, what's the meaning of life, in all these different ways, through, through seeking out as many wives as he could, through, um, through getting as much money as he could, through building as much awesome stuff as he could. And at the end of it, what did he say? It's all vanity. It's all meaning. It all still is leaving me feeling empty. And he kept having to up the ante. He kept having to go bigger and bigger and bigger. And the reason why he had to do that is because he was trying to fill an eternal problem with temporary solutions. You get what I'm saying? He's trying to fill a, an eternal problem with temporary solutions. But Jesus is saying, I am here. I am the eternal solution. 
to bring satisfaction and life to your soul. Jesus is saying, I'm like a breath of fresh air in your lungs. Have you ever like walked outside and just got a breath of fresh air? I mean, not out here, you'll choke, but like just breathe in real deeply. Gone to the beach or something, gone to the mountains and felt that. Jesus is saying, I am, I am fresh air in your lungs. Like, have you ever, or maybe, let me ask it this way. When was the last time you were around somebody that had just given their life to Jesus? What did they look like, man? They were glowing, weren't they? They were excited. They were encouraged. They looked like they had just had a, a million pounds lifted off of their shoulder. It looked like they were breathing air for the first time. Because... Imagine spending your whole life trying to find that satisfaction and then finding it in a moment. That's what the bread of life has come to do. He's come to save. He's come to heal. He's come to provide life and satisfaction for your soul so that you don't have to seek it out and all that other junk anymore. So you don't have to look for it in things that are just going to be uh, temporary solutions to an eternal problem because he satisfies in those areas that we've been fighting our whole lives to satisfy. He is the eternal solution. He is the eternal satisfaction. He is the only satisfaction. They begin asking and looking for bread that will perish, but Christ is coming to offer bread that will last forever, exchanging the physical for the eternal, giving life. We need that, man. And I wonder... As I was thinking this through, you know, I know that there's, we walk through life and we have that satisfaction, we have that hope, and we find our life in Christ as Christians, but sometimes along the way, like those Israelites, we maybe we lose that satisfaction a little bit, or maybe we, we get off and somewhere we're going, I don't have it. And maybe as I'm talking about this satisfaction, I was talking about this, this life in Jesus, some of you are going like, man, I, I had that, I remember it, but I just, I feel like it's just so gone. Like, like I'm still seeking it out in other things. And so I want to just give you a couple of practical things really briefly to maybe check yourself on. If that's you, if you're saying this is where I'm at, here's a few things that I want to just encourage you, right? And you say, well, I'm off, I, I want to help you, right? Oftentimes what happens when we lose that satisfaction is because somewhere we've reoriented our life around things that don't give us life. We reorient our life around things that aren't the bread of life, that aren't Jesus, like the Jewish people in that story, right? So what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is like, are you a Christian? Like, because none of these other will happen if you don't have that, right? But the second thing is I want to offer you these kind of preventative measures. These are some things to do um, to get yourself right, like some ways to look at it, kind of protect yourself, to guard yourself against losing satisfaction in Jesus. The first one is this, goes back to that beginning. Remember that what you eat matters. What are you putting in your body? You're like, food? Like, Mike, I had like a breakfast taco on my way here. Like, I don't feel like that's the one messing me up. I'm talking about the things that you put into your life. What are you, what are you orienting yourself around? Like, what is the thing that you're chasing more than anything else? Is it the promotion? Is it the job? Is it the money? Is it like what? What did you like? What are you orienting yourself? Is it approval from others? Is it the comparison trap? Like, what is it? Like, you need to check yourself there. Secondly, ask yourself, what are you ingesting every day? What are you eating? Like, 
I know this sounds really crazy, but are you spending hours and hours and hours on Facebook? Because that will ruin your life. Like I read, a, I read an article on Facebook talking about how Facebook, spending so much time on Facebook depresses us. And it gives us, makes us unsatisfied. Are you surrounding yourself with negativity, with lies, with pity, with comparison? What are you reading? What are you putting in your body? You say, what are you reading? Because I remember hanging out with Katie and I, hanging out with my dad one Sunday afternoon, and he's sitting in his chair, and he's just scrolling through. He has this news app on his phone, and like every, every minute he'd be like, well, there was a bombing in this place. Three people died. Scrolls a little bit more, a little bit more. Oh, well, oh, you know, do you see this new law they're passing? The end is near. Scroll, 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 <laughs> scroll, scroll. Oh, gosh. Well, and like after five minutes, Katie and I were like feeling like Moses. Like, God, kill us, man. Get us out of here, right? <laughs> what you're ingesting is going to affect the way you feel and even affect your relationship with God. It's going to affect your satisfaction with God. What are you ingesting? What are you putting in your soul? Three, check your surroundings. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Like, and sometimes it's circumstances outside of your control. Like, I remember when I was in college, I worked at Starbucks, and there was this girl there that drove me nuts, man. <laughs> like, like, I knew, like, if she was going to be working, I was like, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be irritable. I'm going to be mad. Like, like, you know, as a pastor, I'm not supposed to admit this, but there's just people that just grind your gears. Okay, there's only people here telling the truth and liars, okay? So either you, there's those people for you or there's not, okay? Um, it's choosing those people. Are, are those people, like, in your life, like, do you have, what are you surrounding yourself with? Friends, family, job situation, etc. What kind of circumstances around you that are affecting the way you see Jesus, affecting your mood, affecting how you live your life? Do you, you need to ask yourself this question, do you need to remove yourself from something for the sake of your relationship with Jesus? So that, once again, you can find satisfaction in him. I know those sound like simple things, but they will change your life if you pay attention to them. So one, pay attention to what you're eating. Secondly, reorient your focus. Often without realizing it, we make something else the center, and Jesus simply becomes an add-on. The bread of life must be the center to give us life so he can breathe fresh air into your lungs. This isn't like a, you need to work harder, work harder, work harder. It's like, no, man, you need to just get slapped in the face a little bit and see clearly again. See, Jesus, make him the sinner. If he's the thing that gives us life, we need to put him in a place in our lives where he can breathe life into us. One way we do that here at the church, and I would encourage you if you're not involved in one, is to join a community group. We have community groups that meet throughout the week, and there are groups of men and women and, uh, that get together and hang out and breathe, help breathe life into each other, encourage one another, lift each other up. It's focused on Jesus, but it's focused on community and loving each other and growing in each other. It's something that breathes life into you. You need to put things in your life that allows Jesus to breathe life into you. And then lastly, maybe you're missing your spiritual disciplines a little bit. And I know it's like the crazy, like, oh, it's the preacher answer. It's the Jesus juke, right? You need to maybe, are you missing your prayer life, man? Are you in the word? Maybe you need to take some time and spend a little bit of time fasting. What you have to do when you get off of your orientation, whenever, whenever you need to reorient your life, whenever the bread of life isn't the center anymore, sometimes we've got to shock the system, and sometimes we have, to, we have to make sure that we put God in a place in our life that his voice is the first voice and the loudest voice that we hear. Because the world is screaming at you. 
And the world, it's going to interrupt your relationship with God if you allow it. And so we need to be proactive about that so that he can satisfy because the bread of life has come to give you salvation. The bread of life has come to give you eternal life. The bread of life has come to let you know God, but the bread of life has also come to give you satisfaction. Not just satisfaction like everything is going my way, life is awesome, but no, that deep-rooted joy and satisfaction in Jesus where he breathes that fresh air into your lungs every day. And that's what those spiritual disciplines do is they allow God to breathe fresh air into your lungs. And so finally, I'm just going to end on this. Whenever uh, Jesus tells the people this, if you go and you keep reading the rest of chapter 6, a lot of people left after this. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, I'm the one that's come down, it says that a lot of disciples deserted, deserted Jesus and left. Now, I'm not going to encourage you to do that. But I want to draw your attention to what Jesus asks. He looks at Peter. And after all these people are leaving, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you want to go away too? All these people are leaving. All these people are thinking that I'm not the bread of life. All these people are thinking that I can't satisfy. Do you want to leave too? And I love Peter's answer, verse 68. Well, verse, I'm going to start at verse 67. Therefore, Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? 68, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to who will we go? To who will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Man. Peter's kind of a numbskull sometimes, but he's seeing clearly right there. Where else are we going to go if you don't have satisfaction, if you don't have hope, if you're broken today, if you're hurting today, if you need healing today, where else are you going to go? Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the one who provides satisfaction. He is the one who provides hope for your soul. He is the breath of fresh air in your lungs that you need. Maybe you just need a little shock to your system so that you can reorient your life around the thing that gives life. Father, I love you so much, God. I thank you for this truth that you give us life. Lord, you breathe fresh air into our lungs. Lord, you came to reveal God to us. You came to be our God. You came to give us life. You came to give us hope. You gave, came to give us peace. God, I know that there's people in here today who are struggling with that. Lord, I know that there's people in here today who need you to breathe that satisfaction back into their lungs again, who need you to give them life once again. And so, God, I just ask that as we worship and as we pray and as we sing to you in these next few minutes, God, I pray that you would breathe that fresh air back in their lungs. Father, I pray that you would give them hope again. Father, I pray that you would give them peace again. Father, I pray that you would give them satisfaction in you again. Lord, I love you and we need you. In Christ's name we pray.